Hi everyone, how are you going? I really miss you all and I hope that we can see each other in person really soon. Today we're continuing our Faith in Action series. And to start off, I'd like to share a story about myself. When I was young, every summer, my parents and I, well my parents would take my brother and I to a place called The Entrance for a family holiday. Some years we'll go with other families and some years it'll be just us. One year, we discovered a go-karting place. For me, it was like Disneyland. My brother and I were too young to drive, so go-karting would be the next best thing. That year, we discovered go-karting. We were there with our family friends, and so it was even more exciting to do it as a group. We got to the place, and we went through the doors, and uh, the adults went to the reception to ask about pricing and how uh, we can go on the go-karts. And then the staff member told them that there is a minimum height requirement. And so he pointed to this very normal looking pole. But this pole had a black or thick black line drawn across it. And that was basically the minimum height requirement. And so my brother went up first to check if he's tall enough. So he went to the pole and he passed quite easily. All the other kids went line up to see if they were tall enough. All of them were okay. And so it came to the last person, which was me. And I think by that time, everyone already knew that I wasn't tall enough. But the young and naive me had this inkling of hope, thinking that if I just stood up tall enough and really stretched my neck, maybe I would just make the mark and they'll let me go, go go-karting. And so I looked at the pole and then I walked up towards it very gingerly. I put my back against the pole and I stood as straight as I could. And I could even imagine my neck stretching up. But someone had to break the news to me. Sorry, you're not tall enough yet. I was very disappointed. Next year, my parents told me, maybe next year you'll be tall enough to go go go-karting. And so I had to wait one whole year, which was a very long time for me. And so the year, the next year came, And we went back to the entrance and we went back to the same go-karting place. I went up to the pole and I put my back against it and I stood up really, really straight. Sorry, you're not tall enough yet. And when I heard those words, I burst into tears. Everyone felt sorry for me. The staff member even told me I could sit with my dad as he drove around. But it's not the same. I was so sad and inconsolable. I waited so long for this and I still couldn't go go go-karting. My parents didn't know what to do. And then my mum got out her purse and took some money out. And she handed me $15. And she said, look, Rach, I'm so sorry that you can't play today, but here's $15. It's the same as go-karting. And so I took the money and that day I watched... um, My brother and lots of people go go go-karting. So the next year arrived and we went back to the entrance and the same go-karting place. And this time I was finally eligible to go go go-karting. Everyone was so stoked for me. I looked outside at the cars and then I turned to my mom and I, I walked up to her and I told my mom, Mom, I'd rather have the $15. 
Today we're looking at the danger of wealth. And there are two reasons why I told this go-karting story. The first is I wanted to highlight how this young me at first was really keen to go go go-karting. It's all I ever wanted at the time. But eventually, the thought of becoming $15 richer became more desirable to me than the go-karting experience. The second reason is to come clean and tell you that I'm not the best role model when it comes to being a good steward of finances. I'm not someone who has completely let go of the hold that money has on me. I'm someone who is still materialistic and fall into the temptation of consumerism. But in preparing this sermon, I'm reminded once again of God's will for our lives, especially in the area of wealth and money. I'm still learning and growing, so I hope today you'll journey with me as we explore this passage from James together, and let's be transformed together under his word. Let's pray. God, thank you that uh, your word speaks into our lives, and I ask today that you'll continue to speak into us, help us understand more about uh, what it means uh, to be good stewards um, of your finances. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. James talks about the danger of wealth, and today I'd like to suggest three areas from this passage of why wealth can be so dangerous. The first is wealth gives an illusion of lifelong security. The second is that wealth gives an illusion of influential power. And thirdly, wealth gives an illusion of exclusive ownership. Let's think about the first one. Wealth gives an illusion of lifelong security. James chapter 4, verses 13 to 16 says, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. There is a well-known saying that goes, if you want to make God laugh, tell him about your plans. Apparently, it originally came from an old Yiddish proverb that goes, we plan, God laughs. The older I get, the more I resonate with that saying. I remember when I was a teenager, I listened to an older woman give a youth talk. She talked about how when she was younger, she had all these plans for her life, but never in her wildest dreams did she expect that her brother would die from suicide, that she'll marry late in life, and that she'll adopt a beautiful girl who would become a professional soccer player. I remember sitting there thinking to myself that she was an exception. People's plans usually turn out the way they plan, right? And then I got older and realized that I was so naive. We plan, God laughs. James reprimands us, reminding us we're arrogant to think that our plans, plans of making more money, will always come to fruition. The simple reason is this. Verse 14 says, You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. It reminds me of Jesus' parable of the rich fool. 
The rich man said, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And then God said, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have planned for yourself? We plan, God laughs. I think COVID has been a strong reminder to us about this truth. Wealth gives an illusion of lifelong security. But James reminds us that our life is short and transient. We could be here today, but gone the next. Rather than investing our time and energy on accumulating wealth for ourselves, we need to prioritize on things that are eternal. And so let me ask you, How do you want to spend your short time here on earth? What legacy do you want to leave? What kind of impact do you want to make to those around you? Our security and trust rests on Jesus alone. Now, the second illusion is that we think wealth can give us influential power. James chapter 5, verses 1 to 6 says, Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Has anyone seen this Japanese animated movie called Spirited Away? It's about a young girl who steps into a different world and her parents suddenly turn into pigs and so she tries to save them. She ends up working for a lady who runs a massive five-star bathhouse resort. One day, she sees this no-face spirit outside and she lets him in into the bathhouse. Now this no-face spirit starts giving out gold to the employees and guests. Everyone starts liking him or more like liking his gold. They give him VIP treatment. He gets lots of food, lots of baths, and the best entertainment. They worship him, and they keep feeding him. He gets bigger and bigger, and he's hungry for more power. Everyone else just wanted more gold. Now, things get a bit out of hand, and eventually, when they resolve the problem, all the employees and the guests realize that the gold he gave out was just a pile of dirt. The gold wasn't real. It was just an illusion. The no-face spirit was hungry for power. He became a big, ugly monster as his lust for power continued to fuel that insatiable desire. And he used the deception of gold and wealth to get what he wanted. Who did you resonate with? the guests and employees who felt profoundly empty after they saw all the gold turn into dirt, or the no-face spirit who became an unrecognizable, out-of-control monster. Here's another illustration. There's an Italian TV drama written by a guy who escaped from the mafia, and one of the main characters is called Ciro. 
spelt C-I-R-O. Ciro starts off as small fry in one of the mafia gangs, but he slowly works his way up and earns the trust and respect of his boss. He eventually becomes a boss himself. He makes big drug deals, he's calling the shots, and he gets a fancy house for his wife and daughter. When you're used to a certain level of comfort, it's hard to go back. When you move up the ranks in mafia world, the target on your back becomes bigger and bigger. He starts hiring more bodyguards. There are constant gang wars. Ciro's wife starts telling him to get out before it's too late. She's scared for their daughter and for who Ciro is becoming. One night, Ciro and his wife were under a lot of pressure and stress. His wife was crying and telling him that they have to leave. Ciro knew how dangerous this was getting, but he didn't want to leave. He didn't want to leave behind the empire that he's built. He was under so much stress, and he just wanted his wife to stop crying so he could have some time to think. And so he grabbed onto her neck, and he put his hand around her mouth, and he asked her to be quiet, to just be quiet. And eventually, his wife became quiet. She became completely quiet because he'd accidentally killed her. His wife was, metaphorically speaking, his voice of reason, but he snuffed it out and he killed the woman he loved. James said, Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. Often when we're in the game, we're building momentum. We're building our wealth and we lose sight of what's really happening to us. Yes, I believe we can use money to buy power, but what we often don't see is the effect money has on us. We think we have control and power over our wealth, but in actual fact, it's money that has power over us. It keeps us up at night. It turns us into big, ugly monsters. It blinds us to do stupid and sometimes irreversible harm to others and ourselves. What's worse is that we use our power and wealth to hurt others. James was speaking out against those who abuse their powers. Look, the wages you fail to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. If all we focus on is how, we, how to make money for ourselves without caring for those who might be suffering and hurting, then we are fattening ourselves up in the day of slaughter. Or in other words, we will face God's ultimate judgment on our lives. It reminds me of the parable Jesus told about the rich man and Lazarus. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Now eventually they both died. Lazarus ended up in paradise, but the rich man ended up in Hades, living in agony. Brothers and sisters, we need to take wealth seriously. We need to be serious and thoughtful about how we use money and be aware of the impacts it has on our lives. And this leads me to my final point. 
Wealth can give an illusion of exclusive ownership. Wealth is a gift from God. I'm not trying to preach the prosperity gospel, but what I'm trying to say is that just like all other gifts, we're meant to share our wealth. Let me give you an example. I love preaching and teaching. I'm full of life when I get to exercise these gifts that God has given me. I want to share these gifts as much as I can because I know I'm blessed when I exercise my gifts and I hope others are blessed too when I exercise these gifts. I know everyone in our church have gifts too and so many of you share your gifts with passion and generosity. Those with the gift of singing, I see you exercising your gift wholeheartedly. Those with the gift of hospitality, I see and taste your gift being exercised wholeheartedly. Those with leadership, knowledge, wisdom, etc., you share and build up the church when appropriate and necessary. Do you get what I'm trying to say? We love exercising our gifts, except when it comes to exercising our gift of wealth. A long-time pastor and preacher once said, we live on borrowed time, borrowed money, and borrowed strength. His words are a reminder to me that everything I have and everything I am comes from God. And God calls us to be good stewards of everything he's given us. It reminds me of the parable of the talents. A master goes away on a journey, but before he left, he entrusted his wealth to his servants. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also, one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. The master came back and reprimanded the man who did nothing with the bag of gold he was given. A lot of us would interpret this parable as Jesus talking about our spiritual gifts, which is not wrong. We're meant to exercise all our gifts that God has blessed us with. But what I want to remind everyone and myself is that the wealth we're able to earn and receive comes from the Lord too. My encouragement is let's change our attitude towards money. Let's see it as a gift from God that should be shared to others. Yes, we all need to work hard for our paychecks, but the ability to work is also a blessing from God. We need to be wise with our finances. We need to consider how what we earn and receive can also be a blessing to others. As a worker in this church, I am so blessed by your generous giving to Northern Life. Thank you for supporting the work we do, but also in my context, thanks for supporting me so that I don't have to stress about how to keep a roof over my head or what I can eat each day. With God's blessing, I am supported by you. But I also think about how I can financially bless others around me and those in my ministry. There is a sense of freedom when we give away what we have. The act of letting go and giving to others reinforces our belief that our security and trust do not rest on money. Wealth and money do not define who we are. We are stewards of what God has blessed us with. We live on borrowed time, borrowed money, and borrowed strength. Let's make the most of our lives by prioritizing on God's kingdom. When James wrote this letter to the Christians he had in mind, it was during a time when they were being persecuted. 
I can imagine how these Christians were living a difficult life. Not only were their lives in danger, but most of them would be living in poverty. They looked at the non-Christians around them, and some may have been tempted to feel jealous and envious of those who had an easier and wealthier life. But James was encouraging them and us not to see these people and think that they have a better life. The wealthy do not have a better life. Wealth is only an illusion of lifelong security, influential power, and and exclusive ownership. Those with the best lives are those who live out faithfully our calling as Christians. I really hope that when I get to heaven and when you get to heaven, God will look us in the eyes and say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Let's pray. God, I thank you for all the blessings you've given uh, to us in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that you help us to continue to live a life that is uh, worthy of your calling, God. I pray that you help us uh, to fight against um, these dangers of wealth. Help us to be good stewards, Lord, and help us to give um, freely and generously because we know that all these things come from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.